HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigade. My guest today is Bree Hurd, manager and cheese buyer at the Cheese Shop of Salem in Salem, Massachusetts. Bree, welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So here we are at the start of June, a bit deeper into the global pandemic, and I just want to jump right in and ask... You know, I'm curious what the most significant ways your business has changed. What are those, both in customer behavior and also in your operations? That this this episode, I think, I really want to dig deep into how are you operating these days, um, and how is it different from how you operated pre-COVID? Yeah. So, um, my gosh, I can't believe it's June. First of all. <laughs> And it feels like so much has changed over the Mm -hmm. past few weeks. But I would say the number one change that we made was restricting public access to the shop, Mm -hmm. which is a huge deal since so much of what we offer is oriented around the experience and the the time we get to spend in person with customers, like sampling and talking about these. And we made the decision after a grueling couple of weeks in mid-March when nobody really knew what was going on and the restaurant ban had just happened here in Massachusetts. So people were being laid off right and left and there was just all this fear in the air. And um, we were we were lucky to already have e-commerce and Mercado local delivery already in place as branches of our business model. So we just mm-hmm. identified that we can drive traffic to those channels, start doing curbside pickup and continue driving sales, even without allowing anyone inside the store. And I've so been... So you went, sorry, but just a quick question. You went from, you know, open business as regular. Did you restrict access to the store, like only a few customers in at once? Or did you just decide to do a full-blown, we're doing curbside only, where our store is no longer a space for customers? 
the latter. We decided okay. that we could come in. And it did happen in, in some stages. Like we made the decision that no customers could come inside. And then, but we were still, for example, accepting deliveries for like, I don't know, maybe like five days or something. And then after like a short period, we realized, okay, we don't want anyone from the public inside. So now it's just eight of us as staff members who go in into the, into the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and how was, how were your sales in terms of like customers coming to the store as COVID was sort of starting and things were leading into like more of a full blown shutdown? Um, did you have a, a bump up when you actually closed things for good or in terms of people out in the store? Like how did your customer behavior change? Yeah. So we, we actually had, um, we had a conversation with a really close friend to the shop who offered us some great advice and encouraged us to view this time as an opportunity. Um, which at first I couldn't wrap my head around because I was like coming through this period of paralysis and fear and just not feeling positive or optimistic. But he pointed out that this time is so unique and nobody has ever been through this before. It's strange and scary for everyone. And all businesses are in uncharted territory and consumer behavior is going to change enormously. So it's a great time to be somewhat experimental. So we started talking Mm. about our offering and our audience and asking ourselves how we could test the latent demand. So as opposed to effective demand, which is the quantity that consumers have the ability to pay for goods and services, latent demand Mm -hmm. refers to the situation which a customer is unable to satisfy their demand, whether it's due to lack of information about the availability of a product or due to lack of money. And so In other words, we started asking who out there needs cheese and wine, but either doesn't realize they need it or does realize, but doesn't know how to fulfill that need. And crucially, how can we access that consumer base of potential Mm. customers and influence them to make purchases? So, so how did you do that research? How did you answer, tackle that? It wasn't based to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) We just decided to try out free shipping. So we had launched our e-commerce platform a couple of years ago and we'd seen sales trickle in, but never take off in a major, major way. And it's been an ongoing goal to continue refining our market and driving traffic to our website. But we've been wondering for a while if the cost of shipping was standing in the way of more e-commerce success. Like I think Mm -hmm. Amazon has been really successful at skewing consumer expectation about the real costs and time associated with shipping. Mm -hmm. So, now $17 of ground shipping for a 40 pound case of wine seems like a lot to people. And so we've been wondering that for a while. And the test in COVID became, can we access a broader base of potential customers by removing the cost of shipping and telling them they need cheese and wine? And the answer turned out to be yes. So the Hmm. the orders came flooding in and all of How did you promote that? How did you Okay. I have two questions. Did you have a time period like a constraint when in terms of like how much you were able to absorb that free shipping cost and how long you wanted the experiment to run? And then how did you get the word out to try and capture that bigger audience? Yeah. So um, we didn't have like all the financials run in advance, which frankly makes me nervous. I don't like (laughs) like, experiments like that, just like off the cuff, but 
we in again in this conversation with this friend who was offering us advice he he was reminding us that like even though there might be financial risk associated with like an experiment like this there the risk you're you don't need to be afraid of for the first time in so long is like setting a dangerous precedent or like setting mm. customer expectations that you can't meet long term because it's such an unusual time that you should just try it and so we we actually started free shipping saying, well, maybe we'll do this for a week or two weeks. Like we didn't set a time limit and we didn't advertise it that way. And then we just kept evaluating like roughly how much have we spent so far? Does this feel doable so far? Um, that, I mean, we it was mostly step by step where the finance of it was concerned. And then in terms of marketing, we just really leaned into our email campaigns and our social Mm. media to just say, these are the three main ways that you can purchase from us. Mm. Um, And so we weren't actually doing like really aggressive advertising to get into different markets. I think we were just relying on the fact that this message of free shipping was such a good access point for people (laughs) that like, if we can keep on letting people know about it and they help spread the word that we're going to see purchases from customers who have maybe never bought from us before. And that hmm. did not to be the case. Interesting. So how did you um, how did you handle the kind of like fulfillment side of that? Because you said you were already set up to do e-commerce and you already had that platform going, which I think that's a huge mm-hmm. step in terms of like trying to try something new. The fact that the, the structure was there for it is huge. But um, what about on the fulfillment side internally? Like, did you, if since so much of your business then was going to shift or did shift, how did you tackle fulfillment? Yeah. So we did already have those systems and like processes set up because of Mm -hmm. the little bit of e-commerce that we have been doing. And, but I will say one thing that has been really nice about this period is that because we had only ever had like sort of trickles of orders throughout the year with like a small spike near the holidays, we -hmm. never really got to fully put those systems to the test and like see where there were weaknesses in them and see where the holes were. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the, the like forceful influx of orders that we needed to be able to refine things. Mm -hmm. So I, I like my answer to that question is really that we did have a great foundation built and that I'm so grateful for. I can't imagine trying to like build an e-commerce platform at the drop of a dime during this time, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but we had like the foundation in place and then we started to be able to see um, like what wasn't working with our staffing or how often do we need to take an inventory of our shipping materials and then order more and what's the lead time there. And those mm. things hadn't, put into practice that much before this. And so it was, it was really helpful to, to have the order so that we could refine our things. Um, did you, yeah. um, on that note, did you, how did you like do that quick assessment and kind of like iterative process as a team? Did you have sort of like daily recaps or kind of like downloads of like, what, how did it go today? Or was it more like in the moment, kind of like changing systems uh, right there when you're working the kind of like quote unquote retail floor? Um, we, it was a little bit of both. We, hmm. it's definitely been, the, I mean, this entire experience has been interestingly kind of like democratizing for our team, even though we hmm. already practice servant leadership and have a pretty like 
flat structure where authority is concerned already. Um, we, you know, no one is an expert in coronavirus, at least not in our shop. And mm-hmm. um, no one is an expert in surviving the pandemic. So it really, it stopped mattering at all. Like, what role do you play in the business or what's your, you know, seniority level? It's, we're all so in this together. And mm-hmm. so there was a lot of really good, like, organic conversation in our small team about like, okay, guys, I've noticed that we're sanitizing this way. And I think it's time that we start shifting it and doing it this way instead. And those Mm. things can happen on the fly. And we would just like pass the message around or like all have a quick huddle about it. Mm -hmm. And then change. Um, And then other things we would like gather and discuss. Um, So it's a little bit of both. But Mm -hmm. Biggest shifts were like we found that our days with staffing, which before were always um, like loaded more heavily at the end of the day because that's when we saw the most customers. Mm-hmm. Um, that totally shifted because we were having Mercado and e-commerce orders coming in overnight and in the early morning, and so then we would arrive mm-hmm. to work and there would be so much fulfillment to be done. <laughs> so we started front loading our schedule and. Um, making sure that as many people as possible were there right away in the morning to help do the fulfillment. And I mean, it was, I think the sense of team and like group decision-making has Mm -hmm. been stronger than ever because we are relying on each other so heavily. Like Hmm. it takes everybody making like great decisions and using their best judgment and really showing up for us to get through this. And no one person has the, the skills or the foresight to, to be the master of this survival, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, in terms of our decision-making, it's been like very, very collective. And I think that's what's made it work. Hmm. Very interesting. And how big is your team at this point? There are eight of us. Okay. And did you downgrade, you know, did you have to lay people off when, um, you know, the shelter in place orders kind of like first took? We have not laid anybody off. It's, I'm, yeah, we've been extremely fortunate and we've had a huge showing of support from our customers and I've talked about it a little bit lately, but I think that keeping, um, keeping it just the eight of us inside the shop has really contributed to like positive morale. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you having mean from full- a, uh, from a safety perspective or taking care of the team sort of perspective. Well, it was, it was safety and health, um, like Mm -hmm. concern for ourselves and our customers that, that led us to make that decision point blank. Mm -hmm. But then I think the downstream effects of that, the like unforeseen downstream effect of that decision is that we're really protecting and preserving the tone of the shop since nobody else can come inside Mm -hmm. and having full control over our environment has made us feel safer and more comfortable. So then it's also made us feel happier and then we're actually more capable of spreading that happiness and sharing positivity with our our friends and our customers through the remaining available channels like social media and email marketing. It's funny, you know, one of the things for me that was always very challenging about working frontline retail was just like the inability to have a mood and have it, you know, <laughs> like yeah. the the idea of being in front of people and knowing how you want to be in front of people and kind of like showing up for that, even when it felt kind of unnatural. Um, So I'm wondering if that relates to what you're saying. Is that what you mean in a sense of kind of like being able to 
own the space as a team and, and set your own tone? Totally. I mean, I think, Hmm. for example, the days leading up to that decision were really rough. I would say like the whole week before everybody just felt really uncertain and unsafe. And so Mm -hmm. morale was kind of dropping and we had to do something to salvage that. But, Mm -hmm. but even aside from just the sense of security, you're totally right. Like it allows us to just like listen to whatever music we feel like. And Mm -hmm. I've walked through the shop to go like check on some inventory and heard all the mongers having a discussion about what is the most like underrated animal. (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about, but it's just silly and fun. And there have been like a couple breaks for dance parties. And Hmm. I think we're not managing the outside world the same way. So we have this sort of protected like bubble of safety and we are able to keep each other happy. Like even when someone has a bad day, someone else inevitably is having a better day and we can lean on each other and be a little bit less, um, be, we can be more candid. So yeah, it's really contributed to like a sense of team. Interesting. Um, I want to follow up on that, but it's time for a quick break first. Uh, so we'll be back in just a moment with more from Bree Heard of the Cheese Shop of Salem. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm back here with uh, Brie Hurd of the Cheese Shop of Salem, although I'm not physically with Brie. We're in two very different places, as are many people in this strange, uh, sprawled out time. Um but Bree, right before the break, you were talking about this, you know, sort of change in morale around uh, the ability to kind of like close the doors, take care of your team, take care of each other, and kind of have a space as you work that was much more, um, well, less customer facing, I suppose. Uh, and I'm curious how you 
if you are thinking about may, the, the, the importance of that it, as we look toward the future, have you started, I know a lot of states are, you know, starting to reopen. There's a lot of talk about that. Have you, as, as you've gone through this process and seen sort of these positive benefits that you're experiencing among your team, um, has that made you think about ways you might restructure or reorganize the way the business works even post COVID? Uh, I love that question because it's the same question that I'm asking like hmm. all the time. I've been speaking with the team about it. I, I can't say for sure how it will impact our decisions going forward, but I think we have already seen some really interesting responses to choices that we've made. And I'm assuming that we will be able to draw meaningful conclusions down the line. So um, for example, we've always, always talked about sell how what we sell is like the experience and the personalized mm -hmm. service and the friendliness of our our mongers and our team and even though e-commerce has been a part of our vision and is something that we're we're really excited to see you know success with it's a very different type of customer experience and so i think there's always been this question of like how do we offer the convenience that people are looking for in you know this day and age through local delivery and online ordering but how do we continue to offer at the same time the personalized service and the the joy and the experience and seeing what people respond to online and in mm. our media and in our email marketing has been really fun it's like whether it's the cheeses that they're they're leaning towards which they're purchasing based on a photo and a description instead of based on a taste and like a, a conversation. Um, that's been really cool. Um, seeing like the different ways that we can make people happy that don't include like standing face to face with somebody and trying cheese together. Hmm. That's been really cool. And we, I think like we're, I've already asked everybody to start journaling about some of these sites. <laughs> Because I think there's probably going to be so much that we can use going forward, but that we're still figuring out. And um, in terms of opening back up, I think currently we're we're so um, concerned with continuing to protect ourselves and our customers and then the good vibes inside the store that we are going to be very cautious about that. So the more mm -hmm. immediate future... Um, the more immediate future is sort of TBD. We haven't, mm -hmm. <laughs> haven't figured out our plan. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious also, I mean, the, the question sort of in the front of my mind is like, could you, you know, could you afford to continue operating this way? So then I'm wondering about, you know, um, like how are sales, how is the business, how is the health of the business at this point? Um, mm -hmm. you know, do you even know when I interviewed Aaron a couple months ago, right as everything was really kind of getting frightening in New York, you know, he was a week or two away from even on sort of like getting a first grasp on how everything was going totally. to impact his bottom line. But, um, do you have a strong sense of that at this point or how is it looking on your end? I do. I, I was in the exact same place as Aaron a few weeks back. I was like, we are just so preoccupied with like hustling to keep up with these orders that I haven't had a chance to do analysis, but I've caught up a little bit and um, it's been, things are really great. Frankly, it feels weird to say that some, there are moments when I feel undeserving. Um, but 
we have been super fortunate. Sales are actually up. Um, I, the analysis I did last week, I saw sales are up about 13.5%. Wow. And what's interesting about that for us is how different the uh, revenue will be in the various departments compared to right. last year and the year before. So we've seen a huge spike in wine sales. We've seen a very large spike in cheese and grocery sales. Catering, unsurprisingly, has gone down because people aren't having parties or ordering platters mm-hmm. at the same frequency. And you had a pretty big catering program. I mean, we had yeah. that show a couple of years ago about your operations for cheese platters, and that was a pretty significant piece of things, right? Yeah, totally. And we had big plans for it for this year, too, and like high expectations of growth. So it, I think it is going to be extremely interesting to close out this year and look back and see what, you know, how things have slid in different directions. But overall, like year to date, our sales are up, which is incredible. And I think most of that has to do with e-commerce and Mercado, which represented like a negligible amount of our annual revenue before and now mm. represents like at least 50% hmm. together. And so, I mean, mm, we before would ship like, for example, we would ship a couple boxes a week and, you know, more around the holidays. And now like our biggest shipping day was nearly 70 boxes which for a tiny store like ours is a lot. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. really exciting and overwhelming, but amazing. So how have you been keeping up with supplies and inventory? I mean, have you seen an effect in the supply chain on for those items in terms of, uh, you know, all of us, you know, uh, lay people are ordering from Amazon and ordering online from all, you know, the different mm-hmm. shops that we love and kind of like waiting for this. I know that I order my pet supplies from Chewy and it's like five to seven days before I can get anything. Are you seeing that on your end and one more notch into the supply chain? Um, do you mean with cheese or more with like supplies and, and I'd materials? I'd say both. Both. I'm, you know, there's so many moving parts in terms of like fulfilling orders in the way that you're doing it now. I'm curious like how you have managed to stay ahead of what you actually need physically to get this job done? Yeah, we, um, we have been extra vigilant about ordering the things that we are concerned there will be a limited supply of. So for example, Mm -hmm. like, you know, alcohol based food, safe sanitation wipes, which we're using to, um, sanitize any, any products, coming in the door. We want to order those in bulk and have plenty on hand. And so, but we've been getting them through our typical paper supplier from whom we order weekly. So nothing has really changed other than our order volume. And then um, where shipping supplies are concerned, I mean, that has been an interesting thing to keep up with. I've, I've never, um, I've never ordered so many ice packs in my life. <laughs> it feels- Sometimes I'm like, I can't order another ice pack. It feels, I don't know if I'm like wasting the money. Like it's, it's a thing how expensive all that stuff is and, and ordering it in this volume is really new to us. But um, because we've been able to turn both our inventory and our, you know, supplies and materials so much, I feel good about the quantity that we're ordering. And I think that's the thing I'm always keeping my eye on is like, did I just buy 
you know, 10 cases of ice packs, is that way too much? Or is that working for us? And if we can try to find that sweet spot, and then keep it on like a weekly regular order, um, or even bi-weekly, there's, there's like a rhythm and a pattern to it that I like, because you can really track your your usage of certain items. Um, but you haven't overcommitted and you haven't obviously undercommitted and risked running out. I mean, that's, that's the thing to adjust to. So we aim always to be ordering for about a week to two weeks worth of time. And then at least during this period, while we're getting used to a big jump in sales, I mean, we don't know what to predict. So that feels like the safest thing. And then um, maybe once we get more confident in projecting what will come down the pike, we can order in bulk for discounts and stuff like that. But I wouldn't even start doing that until um, we were more confident with our projections. Mm, that makes sense. That make sense. Totally. And I wanted to ask this before, and I, I thought of it again, um, are you still offering free shipping or how have you transitioned in out of that? from that initial push. So we ended up offering it for about a month, which was longer than we expected to, but it was, it was a real success. And I think like importantly, it, it changed the fear that we were experiencing. Like when the orders were coming in like crazy, we were, we had started out feeling like fearful about the survival of the business. And then all of a sudden we were just getting like notification after notification of all of these orders. And then we were just fearful about like how on earth we were going to fulfill everything. And it's such a better type of fear. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it was so <laughs> gratifying. It's such a good problem to have. And so I think we leaned into that and we wanted, what we were seeing is like orders coming in from all over the country certainly from first time customers. And our thought just kept on being, if we can sustain this financially, then the goal is we're getting, you know, delicious food and wine into new people's homes and mouths. And if they have a great experience, then when they circle back to order again, they're not going to bulk at like $15 for shipping. And so we kept it going for a little longer than we planned to, but when we closed it out, we did another big email blast, like announcing that this was the final weekend. And that was the most orders that we got in the entire period. (laughs) So that was awesome. And, um, and then since then we've seen consistent online ordering, which is exactly the goal. So that has been really rewarding. Hmm. What are some ways that you, you know, you mentioned that you had the very intelligent, idea in mind of like we in order for this free shipping experiment to pay off we need that it to be a fantastic experience um you know to prove the value there on the cost of shipping what are some things you did to fulfill that goal to make it a fantastic experience yeah that's that is such a good question especially because we were it's like still feels like a new program to us so developing these like formulas and these like fulfillment systems and making sure that we felt confident with what we were sending out. Like that's all a work in progress. And I think the number one thing is that we felt so grateful for every order that came in and for the support people were showing us that we wrote a card by hand to every single person who ordered. And we, it there were moments when that felt really time consuming and silly. And then, but like, we didn't stop at any point because we were like this like $70 order is so impactful and makes such a big difference. And 
like especially to the person with whom like if this customer is someone with whom we don't have an existing relationship and they're new to us and they aren't really sure how much their dollars are appreciated like this is our opportunity to tell them so we wrote little postcards and thank you notes in every single order every single order that wasn't a gift (laughs) and um included those and um and then in addition it was just kind of sticking to our core philosophy of like bringing happiness, bringing products that are tasting their best that are like wrapped and presented beautifully. We have a bunch of different boxes that have a especially nice like presentation when you first open the box. And so we just, those were all like systems and, and a catalog that we had designed in advance. And we, that's the part that I'm so grateful for already having had, it was like, it was set up and we could just lean into it. And then express our gratitude to our customers through these cards. I really, really love that you took the, you know, that old sort of phrase that to me is true, very, very true, but feels also quite stale in this like technologically advanced moment we're in, in as a society, this idea that the whole way that specialty retail is going to set itself apart is because of the experience and the community and that like happy tasting session at the counter. I love that. I think that as a, as an industry, we have sort of, that's been like a full stop. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Amazon is in, in encroaching and we, you know, people want the convenience of online, but we offer this service that can't be rivaled. And that's sort of, to my perspective, been the end of this, this, this sentence and the end of the, Uh, kind of story in terms of innovation. And I love that you sort of didn't let it end there and saw this as a, like, how can we still do that? Still have that be the thing that's special, but actually do it within the context of shipping, delivery, you know, also fulfill the convenience uh, need that people have sort of spoken loud and clear that they want. I just Mm -hmm. think that's great. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really important, like finding the intersection between that um, sort of like timeless goal of offering people a great experience and delicious cheese and hopefully also, you know, cheese that represents the value system, you know, the, the small producer and the raw milk and mm-hmm. um, the good, good agriculture, like those things we want to support. But how do you provide the experience of those cheeses? in like new and more modern convenient ways. And I think Mm -hmm. figuring out that intersection is very tricky. I think it's tricky for our industry in general, but it's Mm -hmm. certainly proven to us as we've like baby stepped in the right direction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've seen a great response. And so that is also so gratifying. We want to like continue listening to our customers and hearing what's worked for them and what they, and what hasn't. And, and then like modifying what we offer so that we're continuing to meet those needs. Hmm. Um, does it make it easier or harder to bring in new products? And I'm not sure, maybe you haven't brought any and it certainly doesn't feel like the season to do so, but, um, you know, bringing in a new product, even in regular times, retail always, I feel like there was never a perfect solution for You've got to rewrite the label, print the label, get the label out, pull, you know, like in terms of having things on e-commerce, do you feel like it's any easier or is it any harder? Uh, it definitely is 
harder in terms of just the various steps that we have to take to make something available for online purchase. So Mm. yes, on the back end, there are like all of these different procedures we have to go through in order to then feel Mm -hmm. good that we're promoting something that we can instantly say, here's how you can buy it. Mm. Um, But I also think that some of that is about practice and we're, we're getting used to some of these new systems and it will start to feel more natural and less like laborious and time consuming as we adjust. Mm -hmm. So um, that is kind of part of the, part of the pivot, I think is like, what are our systems? What are the new things we're doing that we just have to get used to, frankly. And it feels Mm -hmm. like this process takes so long, (laughs) but it's not, it's, it's not taking that long. It's not inefficient. It's just Mm -hmm. different. And if we can be patient and flexible and roll with it, then we can do a really good job of driving traffic to the things that we want to move. But Mm. I will say that I have not been ordering and debuting new products because Mm -hmm. we're not savvy and quick enough with that process to make it worth it to bring in like 10 or 12 new things all the time. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, next phase, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) So um, I can't believe it, but we're getting near the end of the episode. And I just wanted to ask, what would you say have been your biggest lessons learned? You know, one or two things, either from a business perspective or also, you know, we haven't talked too much about your personal experience with all of this. But, um, you know, if there's anything, I'm curious if anything stands out for you in that realm, too. Yeah. um, Well, I can say for sure that my business lesson is about like commitment and consistency. And I mean, clearly the word of the year so far is pivot. (laughs) (laughs) And we did do that, but we also pivoted once. And I Mm. think that has had a really powerful and positive effect on our ability to continue serving our customers and seeing support from them. Like we made that call to, to restrict customer access. And we said, okay, here are the ways you can buy from us. We're doing curbside, we're doing shipping, we're doing Mercado local delivery. And that message hasn't changed since late March. Mm -hmm. And I think even when we have to be agile and um, light on our feet as businesses in this really challenging time, if we can take steps to reduce confusion for the consumer, I think Mm -hmm. that makes a really powerful impact. And so I'm so glad that we didn't like change our minds a whole bunch because Mm. I think, um, I think that might have made people become confused. I think we wouldn't have seen as many e-commerce orders come in. And I think people can always find somewhere else to shop, even in today's climate where there aren't that many options. So Mm -hmm. consistency and like, making the change and kind of mentally committing to it, that felt like a really important move for us, which of course is not to say that others, you know, haven't had a different set of circumstances to deal with. I know there's, Mm -hmm. there are people who have had to change things multiple times and, um, you know, everyone is doing the best that they can. That's, Mm -hmm. I I hope that goes without saying, but I Mm -hmm. think consistency has been a big North star. Mm. So that would be my big business lesson. Mm-hmm. And then personally, it sounds corny, but I just feel so connected to our staff and our coworkers. Mm-hmm. And I, I touched on it before, but like hierarchy is so 
I just think so unimportant <laughs> personally. <laughs> I I really do. I think I think leadership is extremely important and can be very very difficult. That I very very much believe in, but hierarchy is something different and we have we already didn't have very much of that and it's almost as though it's gone away. Like <laughs> really interesting. About, yeah, like the eight of us we've got each other. All of us are coming to work and we're going home and we're seeing the same people every day. And I think because so many other people are stuck at home all day, we feel so grateful to get to see each other at work. We feel so grateful to get to like play with the cheese and like get a change of scenery and be creative with our business. And we're very stimulated at our jobs and we can offer each other support. And so I just have never felt more gratitude for our team and that, I mean, it's not a lesson that's specific to COVID on the one hand, because I've always felt that way, but we've just really intensified our trust and care for each other. So it's been really wonderful. That's so great. That makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's a great message too. I hope, you know, listeners out there, I hope uh, that it connect maybe as a touchstone or a reminder if, if you're, having a tougher time or or looking for things to focus on. I think it's a great sentiment, Brie. Good. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah. Thank you so much for coming back on air with me. This was really illuminating and very inspiring. I think um, amidst so much that's tough and sort of to the point of shocking, shockingly bad about our world right now. Um, it's nice to know that people can find delicious cheese and wine at the cheese shop of Salem. Yeah, yeah, and happiness. <laughs> and happiness. Tell us, uh, for our listeners who are now dying to order some products from your store, tell us uh, the website, how, how, what, what's the best? So uh, the best way is probably the website. We ship nationwide. Our website is thecheeseshopofsalem.com and you can shop for cheese and grocery Um, we also, uh, ship wine within the state of Massachusetts only, but if you are a Massachusetts resident, feel free to order wine. And if you are someone that lives really close to the shop, you can also probably order from Mercado, which has a delivery radius of about five miles, but does very quick same day delivery. Great. Well, thanks again so much, Brie and good luck in the next phase Mm -hmm. and the future. Um, we're cheering for you guys. We're, we're rooting for you. So thanks for having me. (laughs) My pleasure listeners. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Um, definitely check out the cheese shop of Salem online. Um, even just for the pictures of cheese, I have to say, it's like, there's some gorgeous photography there that will soothe the soul even before you're able to take a bite. So, um, you can also find us here on Cutting the Curd and on Twitter and Instagram at Cutting the Curd or email us at Cutting the Curd at heritageradionetwork.org with any questions or show ideas or things you're wondering about or would love to hear more about during this strange time. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.